Please pray with me. Lord God, thank you for this day. Thank you for the beauty of the sunshine, Lord, and the way it changes the appearance of this place. Lord God, we thank you that you do the same with us, that you shine your light into us and transform transform what's inside, Lord. You reveal what is hidden, set free what is in bondage, and heal what is broken. We pray that you would shine your light into us today, Lord, and that we would uh, receive and embrace this opportunity to come face to face with you. Pray that you would speak in the midst of this service, Lord, that you would guide and reveal yourself to us, Lord, and that you would help us as we seek to worship you. Uh, We pray for the Methodist Church across the street and our friends there, Lord, that they were able to get their electrical problem fixed and able to worship you this morning. We pray that you would watch over them and bless them, Lord, and that you would focus our hearts upon you now. And we pray this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Please be seated. Morning. It is so great to see you all today. Well, today we are in our first Sunday of Lent. Uh, Lent began last Wednesday on Ash Wednesday. That's right, Ash Wednesday, a day of fasting and prayer. And uh, I don't know about you, but on Ash Wednesday, I did my best to do some fasting and some praying. And how'd that work out for me? What? Not too good. How do you know? You're right. It did not work too well. Uh, I found that various parts, during various parts of the day, during that mild fast, I thought I was going to die. Right? And my body, I had a headache. I was hungry. I was feeling kind of cranky. I tried to pray. I tried to focus on God. I fell asleep. I tried to, you know, it was not good. It was not good. I mean, it was good. Like, I mean, the effort was great, but like, I was really surprised by how not strong I was. Not faithful, right? I know it went differently for you all, right? It was just a day of like deep reflection and everything was coming up daisies for you, right? But for me, it was not quite the same. It was hard. It was hard. I mean, I got so hungry at one point, a ladybug was flying around in the church. I didn't eat it, but... You know, the thought entered the mind, right? Now, today we're with Jesus in the wilderness, right? And how long has he fasted out there? 40 days. days. Now, let's go with the supposition that fasting 40 days is harder than fasting for one. Right? Does that seem like a fair assumption? Yeah. Could you imagine? 40 days in the wilderness, he's been out there getting tempted by the devil, 40 days fasting, tempted by the devil. And here we're given these three temptations. Um, We're not sure exactly what the other temptations he experienced were, or if these are representative of all of those temptations that he experienced. Uh, The way the narrative goes, it sounds like these happened at the end of that period, but we're not entirely sure. And so here we have Jesus, incredibly hungry, probably lonely, been out there 40 days by himself, and being presented with these temptations from the devil. Now, the first temptation is to satisfy his physical need for food, which I can imagine after 40 days you get hungry. Right? Would you? Yeah. And so the devil comes to him and says, if you are the Son of God, 
Command this stone to become a loaf of bread. What word does that statement begin with? If. If. What does if imply? There's some doubt, right? There's some doubt. If you are. If you are. The devil seems to like questions or make statements that interject doubt into a person. Remember uh, the Garden of Eden, right? And you've got Eve is there and she's talking to the serpent. And the serpent says to her, did God really say? Did God really say? The subtext of that statement or that question is one that is designed to make Eve doubt what God had said. Did he really say? And we see the same thing here with Jesus. Ironically, I have a ladybug. It just landed on my hand. Anybody hungry? No. Sorry, buddy. You're safe. You're safe here with me. Uh, He tries to bring doubt into Jesus' mind. Because I'm sure at this point, his baptism and the voice of his father and the descent of the Holy Spirit like a dove seemed far away after 40 days alone and fasting in the wilderness. Those, Those days probably didn't just fly by. It probably seemed like so long ago that he had heard God's favor for him. But Jesus, he's better than us, right? Because he answers, it is written, one does not live by bread alone. And of course, in making that statement, uh, he would have also been bringing into it the rest of the verse, which is, but by every word which proceeds from the mouth of God. That's right. Jesus was asserting that his nourishment, his strength, his fortitude does not come through turning loaves of rocks into loaves of bread, but by the word of God. The word of God is what feeds him. Now, the next temptation is an appeal to a desire for authority or power. And so the devil takes Jesus up. In Matthew, it's on a mountain, but here in Luke, he's just is taken up. And he shows them in an instant all the kingdoms of the world and tells them, to you I will give their glory and all this authority, for it has been given over to me, and I give it to anyone I please. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. Now this is a way to uh, shortcut this whole process that Jesus knows he has to go through. This whole path that he has set out apart upon that, that ultimately will culminate in the cross. Right? This is a way to shortcut all of that and instead take authority of the world and take power and take command and not have to go through all the messy stuff of being betrayed by your friends and dying. This is what Jesus is tempted by many times in his ministry when people seem to want him want him to overthrow the Romans and to become the king they've been waiting for and to take command, take control of the known world, to be in charge. Certainly, certainly this is a shorter and more pleasant process or path than the one to the cross, don't you think? But Jesus is unwilling to go there. Because he's not afraid of difficulty. He's not like you or me, right, who say sometimes, well, I know that this might not be right, but it'll get me to a resolution which will be good. 
right? The ends justify the means. Anyone ever heard that before? Right? It's a totally human response, right? Sure, this might not be great, but ultimately it'll work out okay, and so that's okay then. Jesus doesn't work on that same way. Instead, he knows that if he were to seek the easy way to power, if he were to bow down to the devil, he would lose his glory. He would lose everything. And so he responds, It is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve only him. In Jesus' mind, this is an open and shut or statement, right? The devil wants Jesus to worship him, but Jesus will only worship one person, the Lord God Almighty. And so he will not succumb to this temptation. The third temptation appears, appeals to Jesus' desire to trust in God. And so the devil takes him to Jerusalem and placed him on the pinnacle of the temple, saying to him, if you are the Son of God, there's the if again, if you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to protect you, and on their hands they will bear you up so that you will not dash your foot against a stone. Now, this temptation is unique in the three because it's aided by the use of Scripture. So is it true that God said those things to us in Scripture, that Psalm 91 said those things? Yes, it's true. It's there. It's in the Bible. Uh, are those statements true? Will God watch out for his people? Will he protect them? Will he guard them? Will he guide them? Yes, that's true. But is Satan using those scriptures appropriately? No, he's not. No, Satan's attempting to use the promises of God, attempting to get Jesus to use the promises of God for his own benefit, to turn them into some sort of parlor trick, right? Like, watch me when I do this. You can see how that I'm God's son and that God is powerful when I step right off this building, right? What kind of proof of God is that? God certainly is willing to protect his people and able to protect his people. He is powerful to protect his people. But it doesn't give us the license to be idiots, right? You don't get to drive down 49 with your lights off saying, God's going to protect me. Right? No, that's not how it works. So Jesus responds. It is said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. When God is needed, he is there. When God is called for, he is present. But we're not to contrive tests to prove his existence or to prove that we are his. Jesus didn't need to prove to the devil who he was because the devil knew who Jesus was. That's why he was there in person tempting him. And no matter what Jesus would do, there was no way he was going to convince the devil to believe in him or to bring him to faith. And so this whole step off the pinnacle of the temple test is ridiculous. Jesus sees through it that it's merely a way for that Satan is trying to tempt Jesus to test God instead of to trust God. And after this final denial of Satan, all, after all these temptations, uh, the devil departed from him until an opportune time. So what does this entire passage mean for us? We've talked about it in context of Jesus and his denying of those temptations. 
Well, the meaning is found primarily in Jesus' ability to overcome the temptations, temptations of the devil. And in this, he has shown that he is different. He is different than Adam and Eve in the garden that we spoke about earlier, because they succumbed to the temptations. They just thought, oh, that apple or that fruit does look good. All right, let's give it a shot. But Jesus did not. And so because he did not succumb to them, and because of his faithfulness for his entire life, and his willingness to follow the difficult way of the Father to the cross, Jesus has done what none of us could have done. He has been completely faithful to God. Because of this faithfulness, which was completed on the cross, we've been offered the mercy of God. His grace has been extended to us. And if we accept it through faith, our slate is wiped clean. The record of our wrongdoings is canceled. And we are clothed in the righteousness of Christ. Because of what Jesus has done, because he resisted temptation, you and I, who fall to temptation daily, are set free and forgiven. This is good news, because we need redemption. I know we like to tell ourselves stories about how we're strong or how we'd be faithful in that circumstance or this one or whatever it happens to be, but the record of history does not speak in our favor, does it? No, you and I, we're broken people. I saw that on Wednesday. I can't make it on my own. I barely could make it through one day. And I didn't make it. I fell short so many times. And if the Bible is correct, you didn't make it through Wednesday either. Right? Because no one is righteous. Not even one. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So you and me, we're all in this same boat. And our boat is sinking. Our only hope, our only hope is to reach out to the captain, Jesus Christ the one who was righteous, the one who is righteous, and the one who will always be righteous, to cry out to him and ask him to rescue us. May we do this today, and may this first Sunday in Lent be the beginning of a transformation in our life as we turn away from the way of sin and death and turn towards our glorious and faithful Savior, who has been righteous on our behalf. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you. Thank you for being here for us, Lord God. Thank you for not abandoning us in this life. Or thank you for not waiting until we got it together before you came. Lord, because then we'd be waiting forever. Lord, we come to you now. We confess to you that we have fallen short that we, Lord God, do not live up to what you call us to. And we ask, we ask, Lord, for your salvation, for your forgiveness, for your mercy to be poured out into our hearts. Lord God, we need you. More and more we realize we need you every day. And the further we get in this Christian life, Lord, the more we realize 
how much more we need you, Lord. And so we pray. We pray, Lord God, that you would set us free, that you would forgive us, and that you would help us to step out into this world filled with your grace. Help us to be gracious with others, Lord, because they're no different than us. They need mercy and love as well. And so may we be people of mercy and love, forgiving others for their offenses, Lord, and proclaiming that you are the God of salvation, that they might come to know you as well. And we pray this in Jesus' holy name. Amen.